And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no one other there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you're being seated this morning, uh, let's pray. Jesus, we come this morning... Um, with empty hands. We do not come this morning uh, with a, a suitable uh, sacrifice or suitable offering outside of what you've done. And so we ask, Lord, that you would meet us in our time of need, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would give us ears to hear what you want to speak to us this morning. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been uh, tracking with us so far in this Daniel series, you'll notice that our text this morning uh, was not from Daniel, was actually from Acts, Acts 4, uh, 1 to 13. And I'll tell you why that is. Uh, Last Saturday, uh, Brett was driving home from a meeting in the valley. He was involved in what he wants to emphasize as a a minor motorcycle dust-up. That's what we're calling it a minor motorcycle, motorcycle dust-up. Uh, and so Brett's uh, out of commission. And so Fred is, is serving the people of South Vancouver this weekend uh, in Daniel 3, which is where we were last weekend as a community. And, and this weekend, we're going to be looking at Acts 4, Acts 4, uh, 1 to 13. Again, Brett just wanted me to communicate that he's doing fine. Uh, he, he's okay. He has some bumps and bruises. Uh, you can pray for him. Uh, pray for his speedy, his, his full recovery. Um, yeah, we would love that if you could do that. So this morning, needless to say, uh, we're in Acts 4, 1 to 13. And as we come to to Acts 4, as we come to our text this morning, we're in this this interesting place of contrast uh, compared to where we've been thus far in Daniel. In in Daniel, and maybe this is just me, but but we've seen exile at at its hardest, right? At its most difficult. Uh, Daniel begins with Daniel and his friends being taken off into Babylonian captivity. Right, Daniel 2, right, all that happens in there, Daniel is using wisdom. Right? We see Daniel in the face of, of crisis. Right? How could he interpret this dream with all this pressure on him? Right? Last week, Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? they're in the face again of crisis, of, of, of power. If there's a message thus far in Daniel, it's that exile is hard. But as Fred has noted, Daniel and his friends have been faithful 
helpful guides pointing to the grace of God along the way. Well, if the message thus far in Daniel is exile is hard, the message of Acts 1 to 3, the text preceding uh, Acts 4, our text for this morning, tells a bit of a different story, doesn't it, right? If the message of Daniel is exile is hard, Acts 1 to 3 is things are happening, right? Good things are afoot. Uh, If you don't know the stories or you've never heard them before, in Acts 1, we see Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father. Jesus leaves his disciples, and this seems like a bad thing, but then Jesus says in Acts 1-8, very famously, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then you remember that after that, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit uh, descends upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And, and they're able to speak in the languages of all these different people who are gathered in Jerusalem from uh, all different types of places, right? This leads Peter to preach the gospel. And this has never happened to me before, but Peter is preaching the gospel and it says in Acts 2 that 3,000 people, 3,000 people come to know Jesus, are baptized, believe in him. Uh, Acts 2 keeps it going. Uh, the chapter ends with this this envious description of the community, doesn't it? They're sharing everything. It's, it's, it's idyllic. It's utopian. They're sharing everything. People are getting saved. Right? They're relying and learning sound teaching. Acts 3 picks up where chapter 2 leaves off with, with Peter and John healing a guy. And again, Peter bears witness. It's amazing. Why all this recap? Why all this recap? Because when we hit chapter 4 this morning, uh, Luke, who's writing his sequel to his gospel, this book of Acts, uh, takes us in a bit of a different direction. Things get a bit more nefarious, a a bit more dangerous. Have you ever seen a movie before and and witnessed what I like to call a, and I have this written down here, a inspirational growth montage? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you ever watched, like, a Rocky film before, and, like, Rocky's, like, punching something, and he's getting stronger, and, like, literally over the course of a two-and-a-half-minute str- song, like, his biceps grow, right? Or, like, a, like, an intellectual movie where, like, you know, he's thinking and, like, writing on windows, and, uh, ooh, and, you know, over the course of, like, two-and-a-half minutes, he discovers the answer, or she discovers the answer, right? Have you ever watched one of those before? I love those moments, right? Because it condenses, again, in the two-and-a-half-minute, like, cheesy song, uh, like this, like years, really, of study and training, right? But it happens just in front of our faces. Acts 1 to 3 is sort of like these inspirational growth montages, right? Like things are happening. And it seems like in a matter of moments, the church has gone from like zero to hero. And it's, it, it, it's going on, right? If, if this was modern day sort of church life, then they had a social media account, they'd have thousands of followers. Right? Thousands of people would have liked their pictures. People would come from all over to, to visit their multiple sites to find out what their secret sauce is. Like things are happening. They're going well. They're going really, really, really well. But this inspirational growth montage, it comes to this screeching halt at the beginning of chapter 4. In chapter 4, we find this, this first bit of pushback to this newly formed spirit-empowered entity called the church. Why is that? Well, John and Peter, as we just recapped, they'd healed the guy. 
as they were going to the temple, apparently a well-known beggar asked them uh, for money, and, and how do they respond? But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Immediately the man's legs are strengthened. Peter healed in Jesus' name. But Peter doesn't stop there. He doesn't just heal in Jesus' name. But we could have avoided all of this if Peter just didn't speak in Jesus' name. He doesn't just speak vaguely about the love of God or finding your inner peace in Jesus. Rather, Peter, and imagine this, Peter in the middle of the temple, surrounded by Jews, really at the heart of their place of worship, he begins to explain to them that all their prophets, all their scripture, all they've ever learned, all they've ever been taught, it's all been pointing and is indeed fulfilled in Jesus. And he goes one step further. Because Peter is a much more courageous man than I am, Peter says this, But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Wow. See, the whole point of this sermon today, if I can just, like, if you're going to listen to one thing, is just to be encouraged in the midst of exile. I have four words of encouragement I want to give to you in the midst of exile. But we need to stop here for a second. Because before we come to the scene where Peter tells us and teaches us how to live faithfully in exile, we have to realize how he got there. See, for some of us, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, some of us were not really excited to hear words of encouragement in exile. And I would suggest to you that maybe you're not excited and indeed need to hear words of encouragement in exile because you're actually not living like an exile. See, again, this whole sermon is going to be encouragement, 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 right? Comfort for the afflicted. But biblically speaking, comfort for the afflicted, comfort for the exiles, comfort for us, typically comes after affliction for the comfortable. I'm reminded of, of the prophet Amos. Have you read Amos before? If you have, good for you, right? It's one of those obscure prophets who's just easy to read over and be like, what is he talking about? If, if you have read Amos before, probably you read the last paragraph of the last chapter of Amos, which is really nice. It's like this really beautiful, lovely paragraph in the last you know, chapter of Amos. The rest of Amos is harsh, is like intense. Like he's coming at the northern kingdom who is indulgent growing wealthier by the day, uh, worshiping idols, right? They've forgotten their exilic status. And, and Amos basically says, listen, you're like a basket of rotten fruit. You're about to go bad. Or in fact, some of you are already bad. So this morning, in, in the vein of the prophet Amos, we're going to spend, again, most of our time sort of in that last paragraph, in that nice place of encouragement. But I would be doing you a disservice if we just went there and we didn't just really... Look at the whole picture. Perhaps, perhaps you haven't been able to relate to our series thus far in Daniel because you don't act like an exile. And thus, thus this morning, let me suggest that you're in need of some uncomfortable affliction. So before we look at our four words of encouragement, let me just put that out there. Maybe you need to be afflicted this morning. 
Do you act like an exile? Do you live like an exile? Do you find yourself in situations like Peter finds himself in, not just because you healed in Jesus' name, but because you also spoke in Jesus' name? Now, with those unpleasantries behind us, let's look at our text this morning. Acts 4, 1-4, to the first word of encouragement I want to speak to us, I want to speak to myself this morning, is this. Systemic oppression can never stop, will never stop, and will never hinder the word and the ministry of the word of God. It's good news. Acts 4, 1 to 4, read with me. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Then it says in verse 2, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Here in Acts 4, and again when we see another wave of persecution in Acts 5.17, Luke isn't afraid to name names. He names names. Who's behind the persecution? Well, it's the Sadducees. The Sadducees, this wealthy, aristocratic group of Jewish leaders who had skin in the game in two ways that would have prompted them to persecute these new followers of the way. Well, firstly, the Sadducees, they had a political angle to play here. The Sadducees, they cared about their wealth. In fact, they had gained their wealth by collaborating with their Roman oppressors. See, they weren't like the zealots trying to overthrow the Romans. The Sadducees, they worked with them. This worked for our bottom line quite nicely. Here come these followers of the way, and and they smell perhaps something that could subvert their source of income. And so Luke writes, they were greatly annoyed, literally exacerbated, because they were teaching the people. And then, did you see that? Luke also adds, The Sadducees were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. See, the Sadducees' beef with these followers of Jesus wasn't just political, it wasn't just pragmatic, it was theological as well. Now, the Sadducees, they weren't expecting a a Messiah. They believed that the Messianic period had already been inaugurated some time ago. They weren't expecting a Messiah. And further to that, they had a doctrine, a belief that the soul died with the body. So here come these followers of the way, and they attack their political influence, their pragmatic gain, but they also attack their theology. And so our text reads, they were greatly, greatly annoyed. And so the Sadducees, they do what's really logical, right? Verse 3 reads, And they arrested them, that's Peter and John, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Inspirational growth montage, inspirational growth montage, things are happening, it's good, it's good, it's good. Arrested. Oh, it's a bit deflating. There are a few points in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, where we, we find these buts. There's this, and this reality, and this thing, but. Right? but by grace you have been saved is one of those times in Scripture. Here in Acts 4, we find another one of those. You see this, and this is happening, and this is going on, and it's probably really discouraging, but how does Acts 4, 4 read? But many of those who heard the word believed, 
and the number of the men came to about 5,000, suggesting that there's more believers, including the women and the children. Like Things are happening. It's going well. As I said before, today's sermon is not some five mind-bending thoughts from some obscure prophet in Scripture. Today's sermon is really simple, words of encouragement, words of hope for those of us in exile. As I was talking with Fred this week, he said, the gold is on the surface of this text. We need, we need not dig too deep for it. So be encouraged. Systemic opposition cannot, will not ever hinder the word of God. John Stott, a pastor in the UK, he said it best. The Sadducees could arrest the apostles, but not the gospel. I love it. God's own word attests to this reality. Isaiah 55, it reads like this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. History itself attests to this, right? If we keep on reading in Acts 8, we'll find that Saul, Paul, is persecuting the church of of Jesus. And it's precisely because Saul, Paul, is persecuting the church of Jesus that Jewish men, Jewish men and women leave and go to places like Samaria with the gospel. See, we see n- n- not only can uh, the word of God you know, cope with this, but in fact it's, it's thriving in this. In uh, Acts 8.4 we read, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Again, now those who were scattered formed a holy huddle, right? bought land, in a faraway farm somewhere and, and built a commune for themselves? No. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And it's not just talking about like pulpit ministry. It's the gospel ministry, one-on-one, two-on-one, at your work, in your home. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Really simple application here. Do we believe this? Do we receive trial and persecution Will we receive trial and persecution, not as a sign that God's hand is off the wheel, but that he's somehow, I can't see it, maybe you can't see it, using it to accomplish the mission of his people. A people who wield and speak and show his word. A people who act like exiles. So be encouraged, exiles, really simply. Systemic oppression can never stop the word of God. It can never stop the ministry of the Word of God. Look again to Acts 4 for another word of encouragement in exile. Really simply, exiles, be encouraged, be encouraged that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Acts 4, verses 5 to 8, we read this. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, or by what name, did you do this? And then Peter responds in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, and we'll cut them off there. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and 
elders. Peter and John have spent the night in prison, and, and perhaps the thought was that maybe, you know, a night on a cold jail cell would, would change their mind, change their perspective. Maybe they would shrink back from proclaiming Jesus, right? Perhaps it was just was too late to, to wake up these important council members, right? Well, don't disturb him. He's sleeping right now. Whatever the case, in verse 5, the bigwigs have arrived. Notice, in particular, two names that Luke mentions. Annas and Caiaphas. And if those names sound uh, familiar to you, Annas and, and, and Caiaphas, well, they've been a part of, of another trial, of another follower of the way, indeed the, the leader of the way. Right? John 18, what does John record for us? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus, bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be one man should die for the people. Now I know, I know that John and Peter have since encountered the resurrected Jesus. I, I know that they've seen Jesus ascend and they've received the Holy Spirit and they know that, that, that they have in Jesus this great power. But I can't help wondering, as John and Peter sat or, or stood there, and as they saw Annas and Caiaphas uh, come into the room and sit down and, and look at them, I can't help wondering if they thought to themselves, history is doomed to repeat itself. History is doomed to repeat itself. Again to Annas and Caiaphas, again to a cross. See, I think they intend to intimidate by reputation, but they also intend the, the atmosphere to intimidate as well. We're told in Acts 4 that John and Peter are placed in the midst in the midst of this council, this 71-person council, John and Peter are placed in the midst of it. And it's not like they're surrounded by people who love them and care about them and will chat with them afterwards about, you know, trivial things. Like 71 people, like, looking for their head. 71 people wishing what they were doing would stop. And, and I think what Luke is doing here is really setting up this, this picture of power. Here are Peter and John. Here is this power, this council. And Peter and John are in their midst. And together, as this earthly representation of power, with one voice they ask this question. By what power or by what name did you do this? We're a power. By what power did you do this? Now, as we'll see, Peter's response has largely to do with the name by which this miracle of this uh, crippled man occurred. But Luke doesn't miss an opportunity to make sure we know by whose power this miracle has occurred as well, too. Luke also answers the question that these Sadducees, that these wealthy and powerful men ask. What does Luke write? Acts 4, 8, look with me. Then Peter, and then how does Luke describe him? filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. To be in exile, by definition, this is good news, is to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. Be filled with joy this morning. This Holy Spirit, He, amongst other things, He heals. 
He gives us words to say and words to speak in the face of great power and intimidation. A few weeks ago, uh, we had a, a young girl come out to one of our youth nights. And you know when kids come, perhaps you've done this before in youth ministry, but you've seen a kid come before and it's, it's like low-hanging fruit. She came and she was like, tell me about Jesus. And as, you're, as a pastor, you know, you're, you know you're, your eyes grow big. You're like, this is it. Don't screw this up, Jake, right? And of course, in that moment, uh, my leader connects with her. and It's actually not about me anymore. My leader in that moment had the words, empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, to speak to this young girl. And we saw, by the grace of God, this young girl move from death to life. Like this is the sort of power we're to live in as followers of Jesus. Uh, we, as a staff meeting a few weeks ago, we went out to the graveyard that's across from the South Vancouver building, and it was a morbid exercise. And, and we looked at the names of the people who lied in those graveyards. And, and we reminded ourselves that the work that we're involved in, not just us, let it never be just us or the people at the front or, or, or just those who you know, are in leadership, the work that we're involved in is, is the work of seeing people move from death to life. Like that is the miraculous work that we get to partner with the Holy Spirit in. And that's the kind of power that's filling Peter at this moment. This is the encouragement we can have for today. I have to have a really hard conversation later on today. I need the Holy Spirit for that conversation. And perhaps you do too. So don't grieve him. Pay attention to him. Do we come to our words in our, you know, in, do we come to the word in the morning expecting to be met by the Holy Spirit? There's an author I was reading this week, and, and she says she comes each morning and she prays the same thing. Oh Lord, show me the wondrousness of your word this morning. Uh, allow myself to see the beauty of your scriptures. Is that our prayer? As we gather together in, in prayer together, as we come on Sunday morning, are we expecting to do all this, to, to see all this? So be encouraged. Be encouraged, exiles. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he dwells within us to accomplish his will. Third, third thing. That was the second thing. This is the third thing. Third thing. Exiles, be encouraged in Jesus. And in Jesus alone, we have our salvation. Acts 4, 8 to 12. Luke has answered the question by what power Peter and John have done this. Now Peter will answer, really at the heart of his response, is by whose name he has done this. Acts 4, 8 to 12. Look at this with me. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. By which we must be saved. Finally, we've come to, to the heart of the matter in our text. It is because Peter and John have done what they did in Jesus' name that they stand before the council. 
at the end of the day, why are Peter and John where they are? Why are they in the midst of 71, you know, angry men? Why do we face ridicule in our workplaces? Why do we face isolation in our schools? Why is exile just so darn hard? Because there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the heart of the matter. That's the point of the passage. That's the point of Peter's speech. It is because Jesus, and Jesus alone saves us, that he is standing there. That he is courageously speaking. And again, that stone that we saw a couple weeks ago in Nebuchadnezzar's vision, it makes another appearance, doesn't it? Not only does that stone lay waste to every earthly empire, not only will it become a mountain that fills the earth, but that stone, cut out by no human hand, right, meant to emphasize the obscurity of that stone, cut out by no human hand, will be despised, rejected, And so, as we see in our text, will we as well. If we're looking for salvation here and now, in this strange land, we won't find it. If we want Babylon to come alongside us and give us a nice big bear hug, give us that comfort and that acceptance that we all long for, that I desire each and every morning when I wake up in the morning, it can't be found. It can't be found. But be encouraged in Jesus. And in Jesus alone we have salvation. What does that mean? Peter tells us that salvation involves the cross of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. In love, Jesus pays the punishment for sin on the cross. As we saw a few weeks ago in Colossians 2, our record of debt has been canceled on the cross. Salvation in Jesus involves a cross, but Peter also says that salvation involves the resurrection of Jesus. See, Jesus, he doesn't stay dead. He doesn't. Because Jesus lives, because he's conquered death, we can now live. And death, our greatest enemy, is defeated. We need not fear it any longer. This is how Peter describes salvation in Christ. Crucifixion, resurrection. Death, new life. Don't you see exile? In Jesus, we found this pearl of greatest price. In Jesus, we found this field. And in that field, there's this treasure. And so we should sell everything and buy that field because Jesus is worth it. And not just because Jesus is worth it, but nothing else can give us that treasure. Nothing else can give us that pearl of greatest price. There is great comfort. There is great comfort in knowing that in Jesus, as we walk with him, as we talk with him, as we are friends with him, as we'll see, we have salvation. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Finally, fourthly, this will sound strange, exiles be encouraged. We're all just insignificant commoners. We're all just insignificant commoners. Do you remember that question asked in Acts 4-7, what, what is that question that's asked? And when they had set them in the midst, the council, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? In the original language, in the Greek that this is written in, the you is at the end of this, this question. And so really the question should be read like this. 
By what power or by what name did you, 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 you insignificant nobodies, how did you do this? Again, in, in verse 13, the societal standing of Peter and John seems to be relevant. What did they say? Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived what? That they had Harvard degrees, right? That they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And then what does Luke add? And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Again, this might seem strange. How does telling me I'm an insignificant commoner encourage me? In fact, I'm quite discouraged now. I'm going to go home and eat a whole bag of chips. How, How does this encourage me, right? See, the book of Daniel, if we allow it, if we allow it, gives us, again, if we allow it, this opportunity to murmur, doesn't it? Yes, you agree that Daniel speaks to all of us who are in exile, but is is Daniel really like all of us? Daniel, we're told, right at the very beginning, is among the best and the brightest, right? Daniel 2 ends with him getting a huge promotion. Daniel 3 ends with his friends getting a huge promotion. Shouldn't our series be titled something like living faithfully for the rich and famous in a foreign land, or exilic living for the especially skilled among us. I love, I love, I love Acts 4 this morning because Acts 4 takes all the wind out of that sail. It completely decimates that argument. Here are Peter and John uneducated and common in their time. And the entire council, this earthly representation of power, this council, picture this, they stand in the midst of this council and these two men spoke in these simple words and the entire council is aghast, in awe. They can't say anything back. The truth of the matter is that Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Peter, John, Paul, Daisy, Jeremy, Jake, Brett, Doug, every single one of us, all of us, just insignificant commoners. And that is such good news this morning. Now, does exile take work? Yes. Is this anti-intellectualism? No. But do not miss, not in Daniel or in our text this morning, the mind-blowing passivity of human activity and striving in comparison to what God has done. Like you saw Daniel 3 last week, right? You, you, you heard Fred teach on Daniel 3. And, and Fred didn't give you the Sunday school teaching of be strong like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? He didn't say like, well, like, oh, the lesson is to be like them. no. That's garbage, right? The point of Daniel 3 is not to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The the point of Acts 4 is not to be like Peter and John. The point of all this is as we're faithful and as we wait upon the Lord, He's doing something. He's working. He uses insignificant commoners, uneducated, common men. But, But what's the distinguishing feature? 
What does it say in verse 13? What did it say? And they saw, verse 13, and they recognized, rather, that they had been with Jesus. I am going to die someday. It's a morbid thing to say. You're, you're going to die someday. And, and depending on what you do, you know, if you have you know, a mausoleum or whatever you do, uh, you, you, you'll likely have a tombstone. And, and on that tombstone, it could say a variety of things. It could say, here lies Jake, or here lies Brant, or here lies Stan, you know, a great father, a hard worker, um, you know, accomplished this, merged these two companies together, uh, uh, formed a successful uh, real estate development corporation. You know, it, it could say all those things. But I don't want my tombstone to say any of those things. And my prayer this morning is that all of our tombstones would say the very same thing. Here lies Jake, here lies Doug, here lies Pat, friend of Jesus. Friend of Jesus. What is the distinguishing feature of Peter and John in the face of earthly power in the midst of exile? Verse 13, let me read it again because it's really, really good. And they recognized that they had what? Been with Jesus. Be encouraged, exiles. Take heart, rejoice. What we have to offer this strange land, this place that we are to seek the welfare of, can only be found as we become those who are recognized to have spent time with Jesus. What does your behavior, what does my behavior reveal about who we spend time with? Let's go deeper. What do the motives of our heart reveal about whose company we like to linger in? When we linger in the presence of Jesus by his Holy Spirit, in prayer, in his word, we are transformed. We're transformed. We're transformed. We're transformed more and more into the likeness of the one that we delight to spend time with. So exiles, in closing, may I just really simply encourage you, provide some comfort for the afflicted. Be encouraged. Systemic opposition can never stop. It will never hinder the word of God. It will never do that. Be encouraged. His Holy Spirit empowers us to accomplish his will. Be encouraged. In Jesus, and in Jesus alone, we have that long waited for our salvation, that long waited for acceptance. We're beloved. We're found in him. And be encouraged. We're all just insignificant commoners who've spent time with Jesus. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.